is uh, writing feedback from uh, moving from uh, marking to mentoring. There was a little bit of a misunderstanding in the schedule in that I think it limited uh, the age range from 3 to 5, and it should be 3 to 12. So if you're kind of wondering, like, do I belong here? And if you look at some of the examples that I'm giving you, you're wondering if I belong here. Um, you do. If you are thinking in that 3 to 5 range, you're going to be on the lower end of the thinking um, that I'm going to be sharing with you today. But if you are not in that grade range and you're a little bit above, I think you'll still gather quite a bit here. The texts that I'm going to be using are middle school texts, so they're kind of right there, squarely in the middle. So hopefully um, you can find some benefit from this. Um, a little bit of uh, context before we get started. I should have gotten everybody, but if not, let me know. Everyone should have a double-sided text that says text one, text two, and a couple of post-it notes. And then you're, you're going to need a pen and a partner, uh, preferably somebody that you can turn to pretty quickly if needed. And that doesn't require a lot of movement. It could be turning behind you or um, if you don't mind moving, if you're somebody who's tired of sitting all day long, that's okay. <laughs> so as I was sharing with some of you as we're getting started here, um, this is a little bit like a bigger range than the, the program lists us. And I just wanted to start this whole thing off by kind of sharing with you a little bit of, of, of what I think is, is really the heart of this, of this workshop. Um, I really see this as more like a mindset shift and a, a few possible ways of rethinking what we're doing with feedback. And uh, we're going to use this model of mentorship as our way of having that discussion today. And um, I'm going to be using some text and kind of walking you through what I've done with students and what I've learned about uh, giving feedback from many, many years in a writing classroom. And then also uh, kind of just share, honestly, some of the mistakes that I have learned from, many of which I'm sure you would probably uh, attest to as well as we've given our students some feedback with the very best of intent and sometimes not really yielding the results that we hope to yield from it. So, we'll go ahead and get started. Everyone coming in, Scott, did you get some? Do you have some papers? Sure. You need some? All right, so let me start by introducing myself officially. My name is Marcy Bigler. I am the middle school English language arts teacher at Brookfield Christian School in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Um, I have been teaching for more than 20 years. The majority of my time teaching has been in the college classroom. So I have taught those first year writers. Um, but I started my teaching career in the middle school classroom, going to the high school classroom, coming back to the middle school, middle school classroom um, more recently. So a wide range of experience. And in that wide range of experience, I feel like there are some through lines, some trend lines that run through all of those things that I wanted to share with you today. So let's start by kind of giving you a little bit of what this workshop will be about and what it won't be about. Um, first of all, I'm hoping that we just kind of think about this as a philosophy and kind of framing this as like big picture thinking first and, and some practices that kind of align to that. Um, we're also going to try to give you a little bit of walk out of here, do now kind of thinking. And what I'm hoping to do is kind of tie that into the philosophy that I share with you. Uh, we'll sort of spend the first half of the workshop kind of talking through that philosophy and then the second half doing that, that uh, practical um, application part. 
Um, and then, yeah, giving you that, that practice. If this is something that's sort of new for you, I think it's good to try it out on people uh, before we bring it into our classrooms and get a little bit of feedback on it. Uh, what this workshop won't be about. I will not be able to resolve for you because it's such a big conversation. How do we report writing growth? I don't know about you, but it seems like every corner that I turn to, this is a hot topic. How do we actually capture writing growth in a grade? And how do we report it out to all the stakeholders? Um, it is a related discussion here, and it's super complex. I will briefly kind of just mention some things around it, but we're not going to go into depth. Um, I'm also not going to use uh, this workshop to endorse digital tools meant to streamline marking. I know there was another workshop here, um, the video conferencing one, and I've, I've done that successfully, and I really like it as a tool, uh, but the, the goal here isn't to give you tools that basically replicate marking uh, that we might be doing with more traditional uh, pen to paper kind of feedback, but rather get you to rethink what we do with our feedback altogether. And sadly, I will not be able to eliminate that current pile of papers on your desk. I know, I know, that is what some of you are here for. Uh, but maybe, maybe what we can do is help you avoid that next pile of papers and kind of thinking of, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to say something here that's going to turn this paper around? Maybe today gets you to rethink that whole um, sense of, of dread and expectation. So, I actually want to start with a little bit of talking from you because I'm going to be filling up a lot of time talking here. And I, I know as teachers, we all kind of get to that place where we're like sort of sick of hearing ourselves talking. And so I know by the end of the session, I'll be sick of hearing myself talk. So I thought we'd start off with you. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to take one of your post-it notes and we have a chance to think first. And I want you to jot down something that you can use to respond to this question. What's made you a better writer? Right? What's made you a better writer? And you can look back through all of your experiences as a writer. What's made you a better writer? Go ahead and jot something down. Most of us are about done. So why don't we do a quick turn and share. And I'd like for you to especially look out for anybody who might not be sitting directly next to someone. If you can make sure to enclose them into your conversation. But turn and share with at least one other person. What's made you a better writer?
four seconds. about writing. I especially hate to break it off because I know so few of us get a chance to actually talk about this with colleagues that can maybe relate to us a little bit better. So I I know, I know we could probably talk for hours about this topic, but let's just try to capture a few of the things that you're talking about. Who are going to be some of the brave souls among us that wouldn't mind speaking out? Several of us, we had a group of three. We, uh, many of us mentioned reading good writing or reading writers writing about writing made us better. about this is I didn't I didn't hear anybody say specifically that comments on papers <laughs> was the thing that made you a better writer like never anybody just show of hands anyone have a paper from high school or college that the comments were so great like you framed them they were so good or did you have the kind of experience that it seems like a lot of us probably have had at least one or ten times in our lives, where the comments kind of made us feel like something's not right with me as a writer. Something the opposite happened, right? So I'm going to do something here. I hope this works because I didn't test this out. I don't know if the video uh, audio is going to play here, but um, I thought it'd be interesting to hear from students, and uh, these are these are college students um, who are used to getting a lot of feedback. We can even say they're kind of like toughened uh, by the process. These are not our sweet cherubs in our classrooms that are just starting the writing process. These are people that have gone through lots of writing, lots of feedback, lots of classes on how to make them better writers. And what I want you to do is watch closely, not only um, to you know, listen closely to what they say, but watch closely their body language. All right, let's see if we can get this to work. If not, the whole workshop is gonna go to pot, so. <laughs> They want to know that all the time 
let's do another quick, like, 30-second turn and talk. Like, what's your takeaway here from what these experienced writing students have just shared with us about how comments have worked for them? All right, turn and talk. talking. I love it. So I think it's safe to say that we're sensing the discomfort that's being caused here, and we're definitely sensing the questioning and the wondering, like, what's, what's the value of this? I'm getting my paper back. Presumably somebody has told me something in these comments. I don't know what to make of it, right? So we could draw some conclusions that commenting is not is not working. Something about our commenting is not working if this is generally the consensus. By the way, how many of you have had an experience like that? Did any of you relate to this? I can. I can relate to exactly this, and this is where I related to it. It wasn't an English teacher. They all told me how great I was. It was my psychology teacher. And I remember feeling that sense of anger. Like, how dare you, psychology teacher, tell me I can't write a paper? And I didn't understand the comments one bit. It was sort of like one of those typical professor, like two or three comments and then the grade. And I thought, where'd that grade come from? There wasn't enough feedback here. There wasn't enough praising of all the great flourishes I had in this paper. And then I met with him. And that's when he sat down and he talked with me. And he, he explained something about psychology and how writing in psychology and the disciplines worked. And it was an eye-opening moment for him. Nobody had ever explained that to me before. And it took that moment of recognition on my part that I needed to actually follow up with my professor if I wanted more substantive feedback. But how many of our students will actually do that? So let's, let's kind of use that conclusion, perhaps, at least for the moment, and say that if we can assume that comments themselves don't create good writers, what now? What do we do now? So let's kind of work with this particular quote. It comes from Lynn Parrott, who says, good writers are not born. They are made. In fact, I actually, they're learned. I actually hear kind of something like this echoed in students often. Um, this is something that stuck out to me so much in the college classroom. I would have students come to me at some point, usually because they were kind of feeling like they were drowning, and they would say something along the lines of this. My sister, she's the really good writer in the family. Somehow, genetically, I did not get that from mom and dad. And it was always interesting to me because I thought, you know, I'd never been thought of it that way. But it's sort of in a lot of our writers' minds, this idea that I either have it or I don't. Not that I have any control over it. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the experiences of receiving comments that suggest to them that you either have it or you don't. You either are good at it or you're not. There is nothing you can do about it. So just suffer, right? So we want to think about this. Like, if this is really kind of um, something that we adhere to, this idea that writing is something we learn and we, we embrace by process and a lot of hard work and a lot of scratching and clawing through the process, 
then we have to think, uh, take a closer look at, at the kinds of practices that we're using that, that foster this. And we need to ask some critical questions like, what actually makes good writers? And I thought it was really interesting. So much of what you guys shared really is at the heart of what makes good writing. Sometimes that transfers beautifully into our writing classes. Other times, because of pressures inside and outside of our classrooms, it does not. Um, how do we teach the behaviors and attitudes necessary to form good writers? I love what Lucy Coggins has to say about this, and I think this is at the heart of this last thing. We teach the writer, not the writing. So, I have found myself saying this, I'm in my narrative writing unit, or I am teaching journalism right now, instead of saying, I'm teaching journalists right now. I'm teaching the behaviors and practices of students who are writing in this particular form, but they are writers, and that's the way I want to think of them. So let's kind of think about what our students might fall into two categories under, and think about like how do we how do we respond when we see this particular group of writers, and how do we push them over into this category of what we want them to be skilled writers? For thinking about our unskilled writers, a lot of times we even use um, other terms like strugglers. These are our struggling writers. And what we see is kind of a mindset and a behavior that comes with this. One of the things that we see is that they tend to think of writing as very narrow. It's kind of topic-driven. So um, many of you have probably had that serial topic abandoner in your class. They just keep wanting to change their topic. And they kind of think, if I land on the magic topic, my paper will be perfect. And what they're sort of not recognizing is, like, you can take just about any topic. And you can turn it into really good writing. It's not the topic choice. It's what you do with the topic choice, right? They have very, very little concept of audience. Now, I actually think a lot of that's our fault. A lot of that uh, disconnect between writing and audience happens in our writing classrooms. Because who is their audience most of the time? Us. And if we have just given them a paper full of comments telling them how bad that writing is, of course, they think they're writing for the teacher. Now, we can try as we may try to convince them that, no, 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 you are really writing for this unknown, unfaced um, you know, writing, right, audience outside of the classroom. But unless we're putting them in front of a real, authentic audience, it's super hard for them to imagine what that is. And so they really imagine this concept of audience as largely being us, and so they are writing with us in mind, and they're often writing for the grade. They also typically are satisfied with first drafts. Uh, a lot of our students kind of have this mindset of like, I did the hard work, I stayed up all night long, I've got the draft, I'm done. And what we have to think about is like, yeah, I get it, because how many other things that they do inside of a school setting kind of work the same way as writing does, right? Often they think, I worked on this particular project, I got to the end, I'm done. They don't really see it as this recursive, ongoing thing that writing ultimately is. They don't see revision the way we see revision. So for revision, they see it as, I'm just going to go in and fix this word. I'm just going to go in and fix this sentence. And of course, they have this belief that writing well, it's a gift, or I'm not an A student, so I'm not a good writer. Now, these are the behaviors and attitudes of writers, many writers in our classes, and we want them to be good writers. I think that's all of our goal. How do we model that good writing behavior? Well, we need to first of all think about what, what does it look like to be a skilled writer. Uh, much of what it looks like has to do with our thinking, right? So thinking of writing as 
lots of decisions that I make. They might not articulate it that way, but gosh, I have to do this part of the process, and then tonight I'm going to work on this part of the process, and then I need to get some feedback on that. So thinking about it as a series of decisions and choices, a series of things that I do, rather than just sitting down, pounding it out on the paper, and I'm done. <clears throat> they really understand what it means to shape their writing for an audience. They think about audience. They think about word choices crafted for that audience. They think about the effect that they're trying to create for a particular set of readers. They know that first drafts are part of the process, and so they're kind of willing to be a lot more experimental, a lot more risk-taking. They also tend to see revision as a holistic process. Revision is not something I do even at the end. I might even do revision on a part of my draft, kind of pause because I want to go back and rethink it right then and there. They believe that writing can be improved. They have this deeper belief that uh, our strugglers often have not captured yet, that if they just figure out some of the targeted and specific moves that they need to make, they can improve their writing. So let's think about some of the practices that we use. And I think some of us will either find um, experiences here that connect either as a student, maybe as a teacher. I know I, I experienced many of these things as a teacher. One of the first things we have to do is we have to examine some of the practices that we are using that punish student writers for being student writers. Let's face it, some of us have even said this ourselves. I cannot believe he is still doing that. Right? I've talked with him about this. I have marked his paper as a student writer. Of course. How many times did it take for him to fall off that bike before he learned to balance it and ride down the middle of the street? It takes us time. And sometimes we can sort of say, well, it's effort. He's not putting in the time, perhaps. But that's a behavior that has to be modeled for that student. Another thing we have to think about is how we might be kind of communicating something to our students about giving feedback solely at the end. So I call this the post-mortem autopsy approach, right? At the end, let's autopsy your paper, and let's find out everything you did wrong. Instead of thinking about how we might come into the process itself at the beginning, at a particular moment where a writer's just sort of kind of puzzling or pondering something, after they've done a significant amount of writing and they want to test it out, how about we enter all of those stages and give them meaningful feedback rather than waiting to the end? We need to reduce the oversimplification of the writing process. I sometimes hear this in the sense of not really being willing to share with our students our own struggles as writers. So and we'll talk about this in a moment. One of the things that I have um, found to be pretty successful with students is to share my mistakes. So it might be uh, in the form of a student telling me, hey, this is really hard for me. And instead of kind of coming back and saying, you know, if you just do this, and sort of oversimplifying it, say, you know what? You're right. I was actually struggling with something similar to that. Can I, can I show you what I did? So I did this one piece, and I didn't really like it. Kind of fell apart. So I, I scratched that out, and I came down here, and I did something else. I tried it out on a reader, and they were telling me some things that I wasn't quite wanting to, have to, to be the effect. But their feedback was super valuable. So then I, I kind of landed on this. Like actually revealing to our students that we, too, as writers, struggle and showing them even some of our struggles. I think that would go a long way to building some, some, uh, some strong connections with them in this writing process, but also shows that sense of empathy that I think is so important to developing strong and skilled writers. Finally, we have to sort of be committed to creating a culture of writers 
within the classroom space, and this is something we have to fight hard for. What does a skilled writing classroom look like? What are the behaviors and practices that are valued? That needs to be thought through from the top and bottom. If you want a particular outcome, you have to think about the culture that you're using to create that. So, I think we actually learn a lot from our colleagues in the music classes and in the gym spaces and even in the art classrooms. Anyone in here a coach or music or art teacher? Right, we learn a lot from you guys. Uh, let me tell you what I kind of notice in those spaces. I notice that they do a fantastic job of modeling for their, their mentees the practices and the behaviors. I grew up in a coach's home. My dad was a basketball coach, so I thought it was pretty normal to be like a four or five-year-old on a Friday night hanging out in the gym with a room full of high schoolers. I just thought that was normal. And so I saw my dad do a lot of coaching, watched his practices, watched him in game time. But here's some things I kind of grabbed from that experience that I think works very well in what we do with our writers. Think about how in, in writer, it, it, in athletics uh, spaces and music spaces and artistic spaces, we see this kind of culture of repeated practice. Practice, practice, practice. Think about for um, a basketball team, right? Basketball season is starting to ramp up for many of our schools. Our students will probably practice, especially at the beginning of the season, three, four times a week. They might have one game, right? So lots and lots of practice. Continual feedback. That coach is going to say, no, 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 let's run that drill again. No, 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 I want you to come over here to the side. I want to show you something. It's that continual feedback, not just sort of letting the athlete figure it out for themselves. It's, it's giving that on-the-spot feedback when that um, issue is popping up, when that sort of correction or that adjustment is needed right then and there. And then mentoring a targeted or specific move. Right, so right now, I notice that every single time you dribble the ball down the court, you keep going to this side, and you keep getting the ball stolen from you. So let's try this, right? Let's, let's go this direction. What would happen? How would that like shift the defense and, and maybe open up another space for you, right? So mentoring that moment, providing that feedback, helping that, that athlete understand what they could do differently. So let's think about what mentorship is. University of Cambridge has this to say. It's basically a system of semi-structured guidance whereby one person shares their knowledge, skills, and experience to assist another person. I actually kind of want to expand that. I think if you're creating a writing classroom that kind of values the culture of writers, you can even sort of replicate that out and say, it's not just one of us that can share. We can actually all share. That, that I can actually have my students teaching my students some of the moves that they need to make to make their writing strong. It is, in essence, the I do, we do, you do model in action. So what does it look like? Well, in the writing classroom space, I think it looks like this. Uh, typically, these three kinds of chunks might show up in our class. Whole class instruction, and this is where we might use mentor text. Now, when I say mentor text, I'm not saying perfect text. Uh, sometimes, I think there's value in finding those published, you know, professional author texts. But I want to make sure that those texts don't seem so far out of reach for my students that they're finding themselves sort of struggling to imagine themselves in that writer's shoes. So sometimes mentor texts might be one of their classmates. Sometimes mentor texts might be my writer's notebook. Sometimes mentor texts might be um, at the end of the process, I might see a student and say, you know what, next year can I share your writing? Because I think there's some really good moves here. 
And you can imagine the head size swelling of that student, like, wow, I'm actually a mentor text for the next class behind me. But in the use of a mentor text, what we're able to do is do some modeling. But it's not just here. It's doing some thinking alongside that. So it's not just do you notice here, but let's try to think about why. Let's try to think about the effect. And actually creating a conversation where students are kind of puzzling about it and thinking about when they're in that position, what readers will be thinking about as well. Now that you're the writer, what kind of effect are you trying to create? Well, imagine what you were thinking about when you were the reader of that mentor text. It also gives them a chance to sort of directly annotate some notes, some thoughts on the text directly. Uh, we also can use uh, mentorship as a small group instructional focus technique. So in my classroom space, often what we'll notice is that not everybody's struggling with the same thing. You know, if there's a large issue, we would, we would address it in a whole, group, a whole class instructional uh, framework. But, but maybe I'm looking at the class and I'm saying, you know, five of you? I'm noticing this particular pattern with five of you. So the rest of you, 20 of you, you don't need to sit through this. So I'm going to take the five of you in the back of the room and we're going to have a little conversation. Why don't you bring your text with you? Let's take a look at some of the things that you might be grappling with here. And so in the small group setting, we can focus on an issue. We can do segment-based work. It is targeted, but it's a lot, of, a lot more efficient, right? It's sort of using the space well and targeting the issue to the smaller group of students that have that need. It also is teaching point driven. So I've studied the patterns. I've been studying your writing for the last three days, and I'm noticing this particular pattern. I think I have a teaching point, and I want to directly address that with these five students. And then finally, one-to-one. One-to-one mentorship is student-guided, right? In student-guided mentorship, we're not working on the teacher's agenda. We're working on the student's agenda. And we'll show you what that looks like here today. And of course, this provides that very individualized um, mentorship model that a lot of us are probably thinking about when we say the word mentorship. That is that very small, very intimate conversation that we can have with our student one-to-one. -one. So, I actually want to kind of pause our thinking here and actually kind of address some things that um, some of us are probably at this point kind of letting, uh, kind of uh, maybe question in our inner thinking. Like, all right, so we have addressed the fact that students have had some really bad experiences with commenting and they have kind of articulated some of their concerns, but let's solidify it. Let's actually kind of put it put it out there and say, like, there are a lot of problems with our traditional methods of just writing comments on the papers, right? One of the things that we know is that students don't read the comments, okay? They just don't. Um, I saw this firsthand. Um, a college teacher, I would hand back the papers, and I'd walk by the garbage can right outside of my classroom every day, and there'd be four or five of them literally sitting right there. And I thought, I just spent hours putting comments on those papers, right? They weren't reading them. They were looking at a grade, and they were throwing in the garbage can. Another thing is, some of our reader or writers tend to overthink the comments. And there is that anxiety that starts to come up. And they start to maybe see things in those comments that we're really not saying. They see things like, I'm a really bad writer. Or, I don't really know what I'm doing. Or, I just am never going to get this. Some of our, our students tend to feel very overwhelmed by our comments. They see the number and the magnitude of this, and it paralyzes them. I had this conversation with my daughter just this week. She is high schooler, newly minted high schooler, 
taking her first honors course and uh, gets her first writing assignment back. Now my daughter, and I have a, one of her former teachers there in the back of the room, um, she kind of prides herself on her good writing abilities. She has always kind of been super proud of her, um, her writing skill and she's been praised for years by her teachers. Not this teacher. <laughs> this teacher's sort of been like that, you know, that voice that's sort of saying like, you need to sort of challenge yourself here with a little bit because um, I know that the next stage of writing is going to get a little bit tougher. So she had that moment. She had that paper returned back to her full of comments telling her a lot of things that she was sort of seeing as, I'm a bad writer. And when I just simply asked the question, how's that class going? The waterworks started, right? Flooded, tears of disappointment. She felt completely overwhelmed. She was interpreting that feedback, which was very constructive, very, I thought, pointed. But, but in her mind, it was, I don't even know what, where to begin. I don't even know what to do with all of this. Our students also tend to not know even what to do with our comments. If they can even make out what we mean, they're not sure how to take steps with those comments because if they knew how to take steps with those comments, they likely would have done it in the first place. So their lack of doing some of the things that we're commenting on is a suggestion to us that they don't know how to do the moves in the first place. It's not, by the way, what our first instinct is, laziness. Like we said, this sort of instinct in our minds that our students are just being lazy. No, I actually think a lot of times our students don't know what to do. So they're doing what they can do, and we're telling them that's not good enough. Our students also tend to misunderstand, or maybe they just don't even understand the comment altogether. They'll interpret it, or they'll, they'll take it a direction that you don't want it to go, uh, the way that you weren't intending it to go, and so it becomes even more of a problem in the next draft. And then this, to me, is one of the most problematic things. It tends to yield ownership of a vital part of the learning process to the teacher, right? We become the owners of their paper. We tell them everything that they need to do. They don't engage at that level and begin to build the muscles that it takes to think, to do the very active, very hard work, all the layers involved with writing, that never gets developed. And so we're taking, we're sort of robbing that from our students because we're taking that over with our comments. So here's a comment from Nancy Summers, who by the way was um, the, 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 the brain trust behind that video that we watched. She's a professor and author. She does a lot of writing and thinking around not just how to teach students writing well, but she's done a lot of thinking about how we give feedback. And here's what she has to say. We have so little direct evidence of what students actually do with our comments, of why they might be useful, of why they may not be useful comments to us. And so that should give us some pause. I love this comment as well from um, a giant in, in uh, the field, Peter Elbow. He highlights that students learn a lot from doing extensive writing, but it's really not clear that they learn a lot from our comments. So we really have to be much more strategic with what we do with our words on the page and with our words to them. Instead of overwhelming them and having this fix-all mentality, we need to think a little bit more strategically, a little bit more limited and focused and targeted instead. And I love the way he wraps this up. Uh, those of you that have uh, connections to the medical field, at least do no harm. We don't want to walk away with our students feeling defeated or feeling like they cannot do it because they have just given us their best efforts and we have told them it is not good enough. So let's talk about why mentorship matters. I like what Kelly Boswell has to say. 
The research has consistently found that teachers who actually engage in the writing process model it for their students. They're the ones that connect more authentically with writers. It's showing our students what to do. It's showing students like the actual struggle of the writing process. It's showing students that when you get stuck, how do you get unstuck? It's not oversimplifying it. When we, when we show them the authentic process, students are more willing to learn about it. Uh, Don Graves, another giant in the field, sort of brings this uh, sad truth. He says, students can go a lifetime and never see another person write, much less show them how to write. And it's akin to the artist not showing her students how to use oils by painting on her own canvas. We would think that would be ludicrous. And yet, often our writing classrooms model just that behavior. So let's very quickly touch on the elephant in the writing classroom, and that is reporting, because I actually think this ties in a lot to why we comment the way we comment in, in, well, on our student writing. I think a lot of times our feedback is shaped by grading. And again, I know that many of you in here have wrestled with this. How do you put a grade on writing? How do you put a grade on the process of writing? Um, it's very challenging. And yet, you work in schools or in systems that expect it to work that way. So I understand. I have wrestled with this myself. We as a school community have made a decision this year to go in a different pathway in our middle school. I don't know how it's going because we're just still very new to it. Um, I think it's going well, but I would love more feedback from my parents to see how they're interpreting what we're doing. I think my students are flourishing with it, but again, I don't know. That's my assumption at this point. We don't have enough, um, enough knowledge there to be able to, to sort of say definitively what, what the uh, results are here. But here's some thinking I just want you to kind of flesh out and maybe consider bringing back to your community for further conversation. We know we need to report progress on our students and their writing. We know our grades need to be supported by evidence. However, if marking equals the evidence, that's not its intent. If we're saying that the comments are intended to help the writer grow, and we're using the comments to justify the grade, there's a disconnect. So we need to examine that. I wish I had easy solutions for you. I talk to educators across the country. We don't have answers yet. And a lot of it has to do with our discomfort with not doing grades. We feel like that is a sort of reflection of lowering the standards. We, we have lots of anxiety type, tied up in this conversation. But it's worth examining and thinking about as we at least pursue this piece of the equation, commenting. So let's shift towards the model of what it looks like to kind of bring this mentorship thinking into the way you work with your students. And let's start by identifying some tools of mentorship that can help you. We need mentor texts. Mentor texts, again, can be those published texts, but I would discourage you from only putting those before your students. Put your own writing, put their writing in front of each other. I think you'll see some benefits from that. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are interested in this presentation, I do have a sign-up sheet if you would like me to share it with you. I've got lots and lots of resources linked throughout. And so I'm just happy to share that with you if you want to give me your information at the end. Um, so I've shared with you here like a, some thinking around why mentor texts are a great tool uh, for this process. Uh, a writer's notebook. Again, sort of putting into practice what they're doing and you're walking alongside of them and doing it as well. Checklists. I love checklists because I think it helps bring it more practically. Writing is such a um, 
hard process for students to wrap their head around because so much of it is in our thinking. And yet, if you can do anything to bring something that's more visible to them, it just sort of releases some of that anxiety and that tension that they have around it. Sometimes it's them helping to contribute to it, right? So let's take a look at this writing. Like, what do we think makes this good? And they can start to articulate, like, yeah, this is good writing right here, and they can add that to the checklist. Similarly, rubrics. Right? I know a lot of us have used rubrics. Um, I think, again, students contributing to this is a really good uh, way for them to have ownership in the process. Be mindful, though, and I did link this in, uh, the, in the slides. Be mindful, though, that rubrics are not the solution to that tension between commenting and grading. In fact, um, it, can, it can make it worse. So be, be mindful of that, and again, add that to your conversation within your community. Post-it notes. I'm a big fan of post-it notes. Got baskets full of these in my classroom. Um, what I absolutely love about post-it notes is who would not like to have a nice, pretty pink little sticky thing on their paper as a comment from their teacher rather than the dreaded red pen, right? Something about the post-it note just seems less obtrusive to our students. It's also a great way for them to capture some goals, and I'll show you an example of that here in a moment. Some sort of record-keeping form that helps you uh, sort of record places where you're having conversations with your students. And uh, I've given you a copy of what I do. But one of the things I like about a conferring form like this is it allows me to kind of catch up quickly on what my students have been doing and join a conversation that they might be engaging in on their writing at that particular moment. Some mentorship-friendly phrases that um, you might want to start adopting and practicing. One is, what are you working on? Let that student tell you, like, okay, what's your goal today? What's the thing that you're kind of, kind of wrestling with in this writing? Another one is, last time we met, you were working on X. How's that going for you? And what did you figure out? A lot of times you might be able to gauge their progress or even their kind of sense of anxiety around, like, I'm not making any progress with this. I'm feeling really stuck. We talked about this two days ago, and I haven't made any progress. All right, let's have a one-on-one -on -one conference right now. Another thing is, can I offer you a tip? Notice that's framed as a question. I've never yet had a student tell me no. They always want tips. But it's such an unobtrusive thing to say, can I offer you a tip? Absolutely, Mrs. Diggler, I'm, I'm stuck right now, right? So it's a little post-it note, slap it down there, like, try that out. I'm gonna come back, check on you in a few minutes and see how that's going. And then finally, sometimes I might be sitting next to a writer and see their struggle with something, and I frame it like this. You're the kind of writer who, and I'm sort of sharing with them like, hey, other writers like you have also shown me some of these things, and here's a strategy that you might like to try. Now, one of my favorite tools to look at is Jennifer Saravalo's uh, Writing Strategies book. Does anyone have this one? It's a gold mine, right? Um, as you can see, I've kind of dog-eared it, bookmarked it a lot. And there is no shame, teachers, in looking at a set of text or, or, or talking with a student and having that moment where you say to yourself like, I have nothing to say to the student right now. I don't know what to tell them. So it's okay to say, can I get back to you? What you're asking me is a really good question. I just want a little bit of time to think about it. And then what they might notice if they were really paying attention is Mrs. Bickler in the back of the room flipping furiously through my Jennifer Saravallo writing tips uh, book and looking for a strategy that aligns to that problem. But I think that actually is a good thing because it kind of mod uh, models for our students this idea of like, I don't have all the answers. And I'm actually going to think about this before I give you just an answer. I want you to find the best answer in that moment. All right, let's kind of walk through this. I know we're running out of time here. Let's kind of walk through um, some strategies. And I want to put some student writing in front of you 
to kind of help you see the strategy in practice. Uh, this is Madeline's text. And I just want you to take a look at this and, and, and real quick kind of think about this. What do you notice about the feedback on Madeline's essay? Don't you have an idea in your mind? Just kind of pause. All right. Did anyone kind of like think there's not a lot of feedback on this? Right? That might be one thing that sticks out to you. There's not a ton of commenting on this. Now, it might help if you knew Madeline because it would probably stick out to you that Madeline wrote this. I didn't write it. Right? This was Madeline jotting down her own feedback after we had a brief conversation that looked something like this. What are you working on, Madeline? Oh, I'm really kind of struggling with this idea of I've got this research and I want to support with research, but it just feels like it's not connecting at this point. Hmm. You know what? I really like the quote that you chose here. Can I offer you a tip? And so what we did was we looked at a mentor text together and we found a moment where a writer was trying to do more than just have a quote, have a great quote, but was thinking about like what does this quote try to say? Like, what is this quote helping me say? How does it tie to my purpose? And so she was able to draw something from that. She wrote that down um, on her paper. So strategy number one is this. When possible, let the writer guide you toward the goal that they're working on. I could have commented on any number of things on Madeline's paper. There's a lot that I could comment on here. But I let her tell me where to go. And she is going to be much more receptive to that feedback because she's looking for it. She knows she can't figure this out. She's stuck. So when we're stuck and we're asking for help, we want to offer the help, right? That's our student saying, right now, I need help with this life preserver, please. And we want to offer that life preserver for them, right? This is also likely to carry what we just talked about throughout her paper. She did. What you can't see is in the paragraph right below it, she found a similar moment. And she, without conversation, she ended up bringing the same strategy to bear in that particular moment. Right, so some conclusions we can draw about this. I focused on the goal that she worked on, and I kind of mentored her using the text and an example, and I helped her kind of think about it, but she did the work. And this is sort of like what Peter Elbow tells us. Once we do that commenting on their paper, we're sort of sending them a message, like, here, let me fix this for you. Instead of saying, like, hey, you can fix this. I can talk with you about it. I can even show you an example of this. But I don't want you to fix it because it's going to be more powerful for you than for me. Let's take a look at another example here. Now, this is Matt. Matt jotted down four goals as he was working on his second draft of an essay. Right? How would you talk to Matt about his goals? I can, yes. He says at the top there, add at least one transition. Second, make it more descriptive. Third, explicitly address the issue to the audience in my lead. Finally, layer details throughout my writing that went that, that go at the bigger issue. So I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought to myself was like, high five, Matt. These are some super ambitious goals. And I'm incredibly proud of you for focusing on things that are actually going to make you a better writer. He didn't take the easy pathway and say, fix my grammar, right? Add some punctuation. He actually went for the hard things. And so the challenge is, like, how do I help him target and focus here? So where do you plan to start, Matt? 
I think I need to work on the detail layering thing. I'm reading this first page and I'm noticing that I've got a lot of these chunks of details, but I don't really have them kind of ordered in a way that sort of helps my reader understand that information in any way. Like it's just chunk, chunk, chunk. Good, good strategy to think about there, Matt. Now let's look at a section in your draft where you might be doing this. Meanwhile, he's telling me this. I'm flipping through his essay, and I'm noticing on page number two, he'd already done something similar to what he was just describing himself not doing on page number one. So I thought, rather than taking the mentor text out, let's use him to mentor himself. Sometimes students just need us to come alongside them and help them see their own writing differently. I think there was somebody back here that made that comment. So, mentorship strategy two. When possible, use the writer's own writing as the mentor text. Again, there's something really powerful about writers seeing themselves in this mentoring role. Like, I'm already doing that, and it's working. That means I do know how to do it. I just didn't use that strategy here. So I can talk about what's already working on page two and use that to mentor him on page one. And this actually helps him understand how the strategy works better. Maybe he accidentally did it on page two. That happens, right? They don't even know they did it. They kind of back into doing it. And you go, that's amazing right there. What you just did is great. Oh, it is? Fantastic. Wonderful. Can you do it here too? And now he's got an example in his voice, in his own paper, that he can look to as well. All right, let's take a look at, oops, let me draw some conclusions here. So with Matt, I focused on helping him see a move that was already a part of his essay. One thing I want to highlight here is that goal setting is a big part of mentorship. You'll notice how I have framed a lot of conversations with what are you working on. Those are his goals driving the conversation. And again, super ambitious goals, way too much to handle in a conference, way too much to handle in a one-minute conversation. So let's kind of help steer him in a certain direction, but let him be the one that, that leads us. It creates ownership in the process. He tells us what he's struggling with. He tells us what he wants to work on. And ultimately, it teaches writers how to look for moves throughout the text. Right? Mentorship strategy three. Let's very quickly take a look at Ryan's essay, and I'm going to skip to um, the do now things. I'm going to give you at least a couple minutes to try it out. Um, so Ryan's essay here, and I'm going to actually just walk through this. Uh, in Ryan's essay, what might stick out to you is Ryan wrote on his essay but so did another partner. So he did a little bit of partner work here. So I asked, what did you and Eli work on? Work on. I gave them a chance to partner up, and I noticed that, that Eli was writing on Ryan's paper, so I said, all right, what did you guys work on? And he said, you know what? I wanted some help with transitions, so Eli gave me that help, but Eli also gave me a tip about craft moves. So I, I wasn't even looking for this, but as Eli was helping me do this other thing, Eli made a suggestion, and so I incorporated it. All right, super. And so what this allows us to do is kind of show how they don't need to rely completely on us. They need to be fostering productive partnerships with each other. In fact, peers can sometimes be that more authentic voice because that teacher-student dynamic can be super tough for our students, especially at the middle school level. But it also teaches writers to seek out targeted feedback. I want help with transitions, but in the process I got help with something else. And then I, I embedded this in our, our slide presentation, too. I think it helps to have some, some models of what good partnership work will look like. Otherwise, it can quickly break down. So I helped um, kind of foster for Ryan and Eli a conversation around tag feedback. 
and tag feedback is just simply a way to help that writer see some good things and some things to work on and even some questions to answer uh, around their writing. And from that, this conversation emerged and Ryan was able to get some productive feedback. All right, I will quickly go through this because I want you to try out at least one mentoring scenario. All right, so let's take a look at text number one. All right, text number one, I don't have text number one, I gave everybody my uh, text. So text number one is a text where Hannah, she's working on her second draft and her goal in this draft, her stated goal was she wanted to strengthen elaboration. And she was really kind of thinking about how she did that as she was analyzing the relevance of the information that she found from sources. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. You can look over what Hannah did. And I want you to choose one of the two ways that you could mentor Hannah. You could offer up a post-it note tip. And I want you to think about the post-it note tip as something that you can quickly capture in a post-it note and explain in 30 to 45 seconds and walk away. All right? That's not a deep conversation. That's a, hey, I think I can teach you something really quickly. You can put it down beside you, practice it. I'll come back and check on you, but I want you to do it. I'm walking away, though. And you can circulate around the room. Or would you use a mentor text to sit down beside her and say, let's take a look at how this is done in the text that we've been studying together. All right, I'll give you a minute or so to kind of make that quick decision. By the way, there's no right or wrong answer here, so please do not feel like I'm looking for one answer. Would anyone care to share which mentorship strategy you think would fit here? Anything kind of stick out to you about this particular scenario that might fit one of these two better? Post-it note. How would you use a post-it note? Um, I was kind of thinking as a second paragraph.
I think this might be a good time to use our mentor text. Let's take a look at it. And I, I followed that up with a question. I said, you know what? You wrote this. You wrote that this shows a larger problem that we need to fix. Can you say more about that? Let's take a look at how this writer did that. How did this writer say more about those numbers? Or did the writer just kind of let those numbers speak for themselves? And so we found a moment where the mentor text was saying something about the, the numbers themselves. And we were able to say, like, like, let's actually see how that writer does it. Can you follow a similar kind of thing in your writing? Sure, I think I can try it. And she did. It really is a, a sort of mindset shift more than anything. And, and to be honest with you, I wish I could say I've been doing this for years, but sadly, I feel like if I could go back and redo so much of my teaching work, I would enjoy that so much because I feel like there's so many writers that would have benefited from this mentorship model that I didn't use this with um, early on in my career. So finally, I do have some other things that I share with you about conferencing and some thinking along that, as well as some additional resources that I've embedded here. Along with the Writing Strategies book, I'm a big fan of having good writing conferences. And I know that's a scary, scary topic for a lot of us, like how do we have conferences well? The good news is there's such fantastic sources out there right now. I highly recommend Carl Anderson's book. There's also a link to a, uh, a conference talk that he gave about conferring with student writers that you may find beneficial as well. Thank you so much. You guys have been a fantastic audience. If you have any questions, please email me. If you would like this slide's presentation, I'd be happy to share it with you. Uh, you can just give me your information up here on the sheet. Thank you so much.